The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. It's Thursday, and welcome back to the Next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kovnett, and I'm wondering, how are you looking today? Are you okay with that outfit? How's the hair? Hmm, Could be better, right? Well, if there's anything you feel a little self-conscious about today, you'll want to hear what my guest has to say about the so-called spotlight effect. In the new book, How Do We Know Ourselves? Curiosities and Marvels of the Human Mind, David G. Myers summarizes some of the most interesting recent findings in psychology. And one of those findings is that people are paying a lot less attention to you than you think. We're continually self-conscious of how we differ. As you can perhaps recall with a search of your memory of some social situations in which you were the only person of your gender or sexual orientation or ethnicity. If you recall being very aware of your differences, you're not alone. As social psychologist William McGuire long ago noted, we're conscious of ourselves, quote, insofar as and in the ways that we differ. When he and his co-workers invited children to tell us about yourself, they mostly mentioned their distinctive attributes. Redheads volunteered their hair color, foreign-born their birthplace, minority children their ethnicity. At times, our acute self-consciousness of our differences can have funny consequences. In one of social psychology's creative studies, Researchers used theatrical makeup to place an ear-to-mouth facial scar on college women, supposedly to see how others would react. After each woman checked the real-looking scar in a hand mirror, the experimenter applied supposed moisturizer to keep the makeup from cracking, but which actually removed the scar. So, the scene was set. A woman, feeling terribly self-conscious about her supposedly scarred face, talks with another woman who knows nothing of all this. The supposedly disfigured women became acutely sensitive to how their partners were looking at them. They rated their partners as more tense, distant, and patronizing. Though observers who later analyzed the videotapes of how the partners treated these people could find no such differences in treatment. Self-conscious about being different, the supposedly disfigured women had misinterpreted normal mannerisms and comments. Consider also a clever experiment in which Cornell University students were asked to don a dorky Barry Manilow t-shirt and were then shown into a room where several others were completing questionnaires. Afterwards, they were asked to guess, how many of the others noticed their dorky attire? They estimated about half. In actuality, only 23% did. This spotlight effect, as it's called, this overestimation of others noticing us as if a spotlight is shining on us, extends to our secret emotions. We presume that our attractions, our disgust, and our anxieties leak out and become visible to others. Imagine standing before an audience. If we're nervous and we know it, will our face surely show it? Not necessarily. Turns out that even our lives and our lusts are less transparent than we imagine. Now, there's bad news here. Others notice us less than we imagine partly because they're more worried about the impressions they are making. But there's also good news. Others notice us less than we imagine, and that good news is liberating. A bad hair day hardly matters. And if we wear yesterday's clothes again today, few will notice. 
fewer will care. And of those, fewer still will remember. In some ways, this is liberating, but it's not entirely liberating because, for example, with the guy who walked in with the dorky Barry Manilow t-shirt, still like 25% of the people did notice it. So it's not that people never notice you, right? That's right. They just notice you less than you think they notice you because they're worrying about how you notice them. How can I use this knowledge of this spotlight effect to my benefit? I mean... I take the point that, for example, this fascinating study where participants thought they had the scar on their face, they didn't, in fact, have any, but they still read people as if those people were talking down to them or being tense around them. So the way we perceive ourselves can really affect how we interact with the world. Can I use this to kind of decide that I'm attractive and therefore the world will treat me like I'm attractive? Yeah, or I can decide that what I think are my unfortunate features, my bad hair, for me, I have a new cochlear implant that's very visible on the side of my head. I can go out into the world thinking everybody's staring at me and thinking this guy's weird, or I can think, no, they're all focused on themselves and they're what they're doing right now. They could care less about what's on my head. And that's what I tend to think. And so I just don't think about it. Mm -hmm. So that helps us be more comfortable, I think, to realize that others notice us less than we suppose. And as I said, there's good news there, but there's also bad news. People aren't paying as much attention (laughs) to us as we'd like to think sometimes. Yeah. I mean, realistically, they've got their own problems and agendas to focus on and what we're wearing or what we have in our ears probably is not front and center for them. But you get into some heavy stuff in this section too, though. I thought some of this stuff related to racial identity is pretty interesting. The way that depending whether a person is a minority in a particular situation can really impact both the way they interact with people and the way people interact with them. I mean, I think you can see this effect sometimes like if there's one black person, for example, in a group that's otherwise white people, there can be this weird loop where I think the white people are self-conscious about how they're talking and the black person could then react to that, but maybe then that comes across as touchy or something and they can get in this sort of loop of self-consciousness. Do you know that phenomenon I'm describing? Absolutely. So that's part of what this little essay is pointing out. Others may notice us less than we think, but they do notice us And especially when we're different from the others in the group. So when I visit my daughter in Southern Africa and I'm the only white person in a group, I'm very conscious of my own identity and other people may be conscious of my race. And indeed, there's research that shows that if somebody is different in a group, the only black person in an otherwise white group, for example, or the only male in a women's group or woman in a male in a man's group, that person does get noticed more. They seem more influential. Uh, Their bad qualities and their good qualities both tend to be magnified in people's minds because they're attended to more closely. And so it makes sense if you're a minority person, as say I am in Southern Africa or uh, as as one is a sole woman in a group of men, to be a bit wary because biases are real. Explicit prejudices are real as well. And uh, that can make a difference. And there's some other experiments that are really clever experiments in which our perceived differences can influence how others treat us. 
and then how we in turn respond to them. And that's that feedback loop you were just speaking of, Michael. One of my favorite experiments, classic in social psychology, done by Mark Snyder at the University of Minnesota, had men talking with women whom they were led to believe was either attractive or unattractive. They were shown a picture that it made them think that this person they couldn't see was either very attractive or very unattractive. Right. What, what was interesting in this experiment is the women who, unknown to them, were presumed to be attractive were later rated as speaking more warmly to the men mm-hmm. than did the presumed unattractive women. And so what the researchers concluded was that the men's beliefs about the women had led them to act in a way that influenced the women to fulfill their expectations that they were desirable. And so it was a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy effect. The phenomenon is called behavioral confirmation. If I think she's beautiful, I treat her better, and then she responds more warmly to me, Mm -hmm. thus confirming what I perceived to begin with about her. When I arrive home after our conversation, if I perceive my wife, if I anticipate that she's going to be in a great mood and glad to see me, I may treat her in a way that, in fact, elicits the very behavior I expect. Again, that's behavioral confirmation, a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. I suppose that just by knowing about that pattern, you can try to either use it for your benefit so that you might know that if you treat someone as if they're attractive, whether or not they are, or whether or not you can even see that person, you might create this kind of positive feedback loop where you're both being more warm to each other. Exactly. And many a marriage, I'm sure, fails when people develop Mm. negative expectations. I think my spouse doesn't like me or is irritated with me, and then I behave in the very ways that elicit the very behavior I expect, and you have a negative feedback loop. Right. Or, or in the case that we were talking about where there's one minority in a group, that kind of loop of self-consciousness could get very destructive. Maybe just knowing about that as a potential hazard might help mitigate it, right? Maybe you could even talk about it in that group or kind of bring it to the surface. Yeah, it, of, can, be, it be, can be open, sure. Yeah, it, it is fascinating research. I'm always trying to think about how I can use these things in my own life. And, and t- to me, my biggest takeaway is just that by... By knowing about these loops, I can either foster the positive ones or try to interrupt the the negative ones, you know, kind of by bringing them to the surface, kind of talking about them. Absolutely. Good advice. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow, David will pay us one last visit to explain a few more quirks of the human mind, like the hindsight bias, implicit egotism, and the weird reason why there are so many people named Philip living in Philadelphia. Humans really are odd creatures. Come back tomorrow or find all of David's insights in our Next Big Idea app. I'm Michael Kavnet. See you next time.